Isaiah, the 59th chapter, if you'd stand on your feet. We're going to read two sections. This is a really long chapter. We're going to read two sections from this chapter, though, this morning. Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sin has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and they bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and they weave the spider's web. And he who eats of their egg dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Now I want us to look at verse number 12. We're going to skip uh, down the chapter and I'll tie it together in just a moment. Isaiah 59 and 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities, we know them in transgressions and lines against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. And truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice And he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation to him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray that you speak to our heart. Give us ears to hear. Lord, help the fervor and the passion that I sense in my spirit today be communicated, Lord, in such a way that none of us leave here the same. But we all leave changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. You ought to tell somebody good morning before you're seated. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, I hope that you have already sensed the stir of the presence of the Lord in your hearts. And uh, God is good. I believe that what he finishes, he will start. Amen. And uh, this morning, I have been, as I shared just a moment ago, I've been studying, I've been seeking the face of God, the heart of God, uh, over several uh, distinct issues. And one of those issues being our church and being the condition of the world and, and looking at prophetic things and end time events and and everything of that nature. And listen, I am convinced more than ever that Gabriel's lips are close to that trumpet. I believe that the Lord Jesus is soon to return to split the eastern sky. Now, I feel like I need to preface myself this morning because uh, we're starting a new series today entitled Race to Standard, and we're going to be looking at this throughout the month because the Lord has been dealing with me uh, about this. I haven't been able to get it out of my spirit now for months. But I want to preface this by saying 
you don't look at prophecy by looking at the conditions of America. You look at prophecy by the conditions of Israel and the Middle East. And I want you to know something today that there are things that are happening around the world right now that if we have any ounce of the Spirit of God on the inside of us, then it ought to make us wake up and to listen. I don't know if you've studied uh, anything about what's going on right now in the Middle East, but the Euphrates River, which is a key uh, aspect of prophetic end-time events, the Euphrates River is one of those rivers that it is a signature river. The Bible talks about it starting in Genesis, and it goes all the way through prophecy. The Bible says that, that and in the end of the end times, that the Euphrates River will dry up. I want you to know right now that the Euphrates River is so low that you literally can walk across it on foot. There are some places, and it has never been like this, there are some places that you can walk across the Euphrates River almost like skipping through a mud puddle. See, Revelation chapter 16, verse 11 through 12, talk about the Euphrates River drying up, making way for the kings of the east. Who are the kings of the east? With this 200 million man army that the Bible talks about who comes down through the Euphrates River ready to make war. I'll tell you, right now, China is the only nation that fits those qualifications. And I want you to know, they hate America, they hate Israel, and they have a two million man army right now. Not just that, but you gotta begin to look around the world and see the other great things that are happening. See, I believe that, that in the middle of Jesus' return, that there are two things that are connected with the last days that the Bible says will happen. And I want you to know, my friend, they are happening. You see, it's easy right now to look around at the conditions of the earth and begin to be disheartened. You look at America and you see things that are happening. You're saying, Lord, what is going on with our nation but church, I want to tell you this morning, great things are happening among the world. I have friends who are literally on all four corners of the earth. We heard from one just a moment ago on our video, Christopher Alam, Pastor Paul Trokel, one of my former pastors. He's been doing work in Jordan and in Turkey. And he said, literally, Muslims are coming to faith at such record number. That it's like, like, uh, like just salt shaking out of a salt shaker into a bowl. Just people are coming to Christ at record numbers. We're seeing the revival in Latin America, in Colombia, in Brazil, in Mexico. We're seeing the church of Jesus Christ thriving in record numbers. Um, the church in Pakistan is doing amazing. At this moment, their church pastors are being persecuted. They're being burned to the ground for ceasing to stop preaching the gospel. But yet when they burn one church down, they say three pop up in his place. God is moving. 
across this nation. And I believe, my friend, that is one of the end time signs that we see in the Bible. Found in the book of Joel chapter 2. The apostle Peter picked up these words in Acts chapter 2 and gives us the New Testament reality. The prophet Joel is, is, is uh, addressing the nation of Israel. And these are the words that he says in Joel chapter 2. He says, in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Uh, and Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, which began the last days. See, the Bible talks about the last days, and then the Bible talks about the latter days. Uh, those were the last days. We're living in the latter days. And so the Bible says that, that uh, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And we're seeing right now the sons and daughters of God across the world are, are coming into the kingdom. It's really an amazing time. Friends, there are other events that are prophesied in the last days. Just like we have the outpouring of the last days promised in Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, there's something else prophesied in these last days. Are you ready for this? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, you don't have to turn there, but Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together for, for him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had already come. In other words, there was a letter being circulated in, in the days of, of Paul and that Christ had already came and somehow they were going to, they, they had missed it and so they were fretting and so Paul writes back, with apostolic authority, and he tells them, he's like, no, 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 the, the, Christ hasn't come yet. And he begins to tell him there's some things that are going to happen before Christ comes. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, capital D, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And then the scripture goes on talking about how that man that of perdition, the Antichrist, sets up himself to be worshipped. He sits in the temple and exalts himself to be God. We know Daniel calls that the abomination of desolation that happens at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, starting the great tribulation. So obviously here Paul's talking about the last days and the coming of the rising Antichrist onto the scene. But here's what I need you to know. Before that Antichrist ever comes, the Bible says that there will be a great falling away. I want you to put your rocks in your pocket this morning. Because I told you my heart's been troubled. I wish I could preach just whatever I felt like. I wish sometimes I didn't have to tackle this stuff. But when you pray and seek God, you have to deliver what He gave you. I've been doing some research. Of course, many of you know 
It's not a secret. I'm a passionate missions guy. I'm a pastor first. I love the local church. I love to go on missions, but I love to come home. There's nothing like American soil. But I've been doing research on the nation of Kenya and the surrounding nations that we're attempting to impact with our Bible school, Tanzania, South Sudan, Somalia, the Congo. Been looking at all of the very nations around the world and the exposure to the gospel that they've had. Something spoke inside of my heart and said, why don't you look at America? We just got back from the theater. My grandmother would not have went and seen that movie, by the way. If you're here Wednesday, you understand what I'm talking about. My grandmother was old-time holiness. She didn't believe in going to the movie theater. In fact, she said, if Jesus came back while you were in there, he wasn't coming in there to get you. That's, that's how she believed. But we went and watched the Jesus Revolution at the turn of the, the 70s, the hippie movement, all those things, and it was... Historically accurate, great movie. But I began to do some research. I said, okay, let's do this. So I went to several reputable sources, and I began to look at America. And what I found, friend, I want to tell you, was startling to me. They've got it coming up on the screen. In 1972, 90% Americans in this nation identified as Christian. Keep it up there, don't move it. That's according to the National Pew Research. In 1972, 90% of Americans identified as Christian. Now, that doesn't mean they were sold out. That doesn't mean they were spirit-filled. It doesn't even mean they went to church every Sunday. What that means is, is that in research compilation and data entry, whether or not somebody was going into the military and they had to ask what kind of religion they were for chaplaincy purposes, uh, hospitals, whether or not it was for surveys, or whether or not it was based on church attendance in the nation, in 1972, 90% of Americans identified as Christian, or at least we can go a little further and say this, if they weren't living a on-fire Christian life, at least at that time, the overwhelming majority of our nation had Christian values. I don't know where that came from. They had Christian values. But I want you to know something. That number has changed. 51 years later, in 2023, closest we can get is 2022, only 63% of Americans identify as Christian. In 1972, there were 90% of people in our nation who identified as Christian. And in 19, or I'm sorry, rather, in 2022, that percentage has dropped 27% to 63%. I want you to hear me. I want you to listen clear. People are saying, but yeah, I was having a conversation with my nephew. 
we were talking. If you look at the chart, by the way, from 72 to now, it is a steady decline. I was talking to my nephew, and I said, I said nephew, listen, he's in Bible college, and he calls me for questions, and I, I encourage him and all those things, but we were talking about the condition of the nation, and I said, I said Dakota, I said, I want, you to, I want you to know something. I said, I said, America needs a move. He said, well, he, said, he calls me unk. He said, unk, he said, you need to understand, there's a lot of great things happening in the nation right now. Revival at Asbury and I had revival at the college, and I agree. But I want you to see something. This decline started in 1972. Now, I have done extensive research on this. You go back me up, you check my numbers. This decline happened at the beginning of the height of the Jesus movement. This decline in America began to decline down even into the 80s. In the 80s was the height, the late 70s, the early 80s was the height of what was called the charismatic renewal. Vineyard churches, Calvary, uh, Calvary, uh, uh, Calvary Church, uh, all these different Calvary churches and, and, and interdenominational uh, churches that were a part of the charismatic renewal were birthed out of the, the late 70s and the early 80s. Then we had the height of the Jimmy Swaggart era with crusades after crusades and worldwide crusades and even Billy Graham crusades. And you say, Pastor, that was some great stuff going on. Yeah, it's true, but the numbers were still declining in the middle of that. Then you get to the early 2000s, and in 1994, there was a move of God that happened in, in uh, Pensacola, Florida, the Brownsville Revival, one of our Assembly of God churches. It lasted for five and a half years. God did great things, but yet in the middle of that, it still kept declining. And I'm asking, Lord, what is going on with this? He pointed me back to those two scriptures. And he said, it is entirely possible for both things to happen at the same time. What we're seeing in America right now is, uh, is a post-Christian turn. I've preached on it before. The 400-year cycles of Rome versus the United States. You understand that, that if you take the nation of America and the nation of Rome and, and, and look at our government and everything else, there are a lot of things that are similar to the things that were legalized, the things that were put into motion by our government. And Rome crumbled from the top down because of these things. Now this morning, I'm not telling you these things to make you upset. I'm not telling you these things to paint a negative picture. I I'm telling you that you and I are living in a time. We're living in a culture in our nation where we're going to have to make a distinction between the church and the world. See, I've entitled this series this month, Raised to Standard. But this message today, I've entitled it this, A Return to Repentance. You see, 
We can have touches of revival, touches of moves of God, touches of things in our life. But let me just make myself very clear. Revival doesn't just happen when you sing. Revival doesn't just happen when you clap. Revival doesn't just happen when you lie on the floor. Revival begins and is sustained when we return to that one word that nobody likes. It's the word called repentance. 1972, 90% of people said they were Christian. Today, 62%. I'm talking with my nephew and I said, man, that's a decline. Oh, it frustrates me. Because in our nation, we have the biggest Bible colleges. We have the biggest churches that run thousands of people every Sunday morning. We have all of the great tools, resources, Christian radio, Christian satellite. We've got uh, uh, everything that you possibly can think of. But yet there's a decline. And so I asked my nephew, I said, what do you, what do you, what do you think about this? He's a young guy, but I admire his wisdom. Here's what he said. He said, well, um, he says, maybe today it's just easier to tell them apart. Maybe it's just easier to tell them apart. You know, back in 1972, even though there was the height of the hippie and the drug revolution and LSD and free love and all of those things, still the moral fabric of our nation was one that you could uh, understand that, that our nation stood for certain things. There were certain values, values in the home, values in how we raised children, values on how we served God. Values on how we voted. Values on how we treated the world. But yet, that decline began to get down. And you and I have to understand that it's time for us to raise the standard. It's time for us as the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just First Assembly, but just around the, the nation. If we really want to see God move, we've got to make a return to repentance. I'm convinced this morning that we spend more time in the dressing room than we do in the prayer room. I'm concerned this morning that we spend more time reading romance novels than reading the Bible. I'm, a, I'm concerned this morning that in the Pentecostal church, we spend more time talking on the phone than we do talking in tongues. There's more fire under the coffee pot in most churches than the fire of the heart that God wants us to set ablaze by His burning glory. This morning, church, I'm telling you, that we're living in a day to where the line is increasingly being clear. And as the prophet of old said, he that is on the Lord's side, choose this day. We've got to make a choice in this nation. See, I want to bring us back to our text this morning in, in Isaiah 59. And, and actually, uh, conclude. Uh, precursor to that, Isaiah 57 and 58. Uh, actually, Isaiah spends all of his letter approaching the nation of Israel. Israel was God's people. God had a desire. He had a plan. He had a purpose for them. Yet, oftentimes, they would be wooed away 
by the lust of idolatry and the callousness of the heart. And Isaiah's dealing with the straying nation of Israel. There was a great deal of injustice going on in the land. God, I don't know if you know this, but he hates injustice. The rich were exploiting the poor. The rulers of the nation were using their positions of authority to make themselves wealthy. Idolatry had infiltrated the Lord's people and the hearts of many began to backslide. You, You understand the word backslide, don't you? It's a word that's not in our vocabulary too much today, but it's a Bible word and I want to use that. To backslide means to fall away from your standing. In other words, if God is moving this way and you stand still and God keeps moving, you've backslid. You see, you don't have to go backward to backslide. You just have to refuse to move forward. You see, you've got to understand today that Israel had forsaken God. They they had begun to build idols with their own hands. Their own empire was producing their own income. And they they began to think bigger than themselves than they really were. And the problem is, is that God wanted to bless them. His desire was to bless them. He wasn't able. The prophet described the rulers of Israel of that day as pregnant women giving birth to evil. The political leaders of Israel were getting pregnant with ideas and giving birth to evil. He says like a scorpion or a snake, a viper, giving birth to eggs. And then you reach down to eat the egg and what's inside the egg bites you. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Sounds like the evil our leaders have embraced across the nation. You want to know something? You know when all this started? Began in the early 70s. The sexual revolution and and so many different things happening in our nation. The moral fabric of our culture began to be unraveled. And while great things were happening, people lost their footing. From our text this morning, I want to talk to you, number one, about the cause of their backsliding the cause of their backsliding look at this with me I'm telling you the Lord is going to do something great today Isaiah 59 verse 1 through 3 behold the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear notice but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sin have hidden His face from you so that he will not hear you. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue have muttered perversity. No one calls for justice. No one pleads for the truth. You trust in empty words and speak lies. You conceive and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their egg dies and that from which is crushed a viper breaks out. Evil giving birth to evil. Now, I want you to understand something. Their sin was the cause of their backsliding. Notice he says, God's ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. Neither is his hand short that he cannot save. Do you know what he's trying to say this morning? It's not God's fault 
It's not God's fault. He has made a way. I want you to notice, he said, your iniquity. Iniquity is a stubbornness of heart. See, iniquity is not the same, te- same thing as a one-time mess-up, okay? If, if, if a one-time mess-up caused God to run from all of us, man, my God, we'd all be in trouble. This is not what that's talking about. This is talking about a progression in sin so much that your heart becomes hardened and you turn away from the living God. That's what it means. It means when you live in a state of unrepentant sin for so long, your conscience no longer bothers you, and you just begin to pull away from the things of God. You begin to pull away from the direction of God, and that's what caused Israel to begin to backslide. But I want you to know something. What happened in this nation was from the top. The leaders of the nation begin to go in the wrong direction. And I want you to know something, whether or not it's in the church, or whether or not it's in a business, or whether or not it's in the nation, it's just the, the product of design. As the leader goes, oftentimes so the nation goes. Until God raises up somebody with a voice. So after their sin, begin to cause their backsliding, I want you to notice this. A sowing and a reaping effect began to happen. Because not only has their iniquities separated them from God and their sins are before him, it it began to funnel down to the nation. You see, we've got to understand something. The laws of sowing and reaping work for more than just money. We like for the prosperity person, and I believe in prosperity, we like it when they say give and it shall be given, sow and you shall reap. We like all that until it works the opposite way. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 8 say this, if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap the things of the Spirit, but if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. And folks, let me tell you why we have dropped down from 90% to 70%, because we are reaping the whirlwind of a generation who lost their footing with God. They let their standards down in lieu of offending their kids, in lieu of holding the standard of righteousness, in lieu of holding up the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. We built a generation of pacified babies. The cause of their backsliding is because of their sin. And that's what we see in our own nation right now. Our young people are confused. In some schools in Ohio, they have litter boxes in the bathrooms of the high school for the students who identify as an animal. You know, I tried to identify a millionaire at my bank last week and it didn't work. Amen. But because we don't want to hurt their feelings, the liberal government has pacified pacified and placated them and, and giving in to their whims of desire. Here's the thing, folks. Where does it stop? The Bible says when lust is born, it brings forth sin, and sin conceived brings forth death. Sin is still a big deal. Believers can still backslide. You, oh, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm, I'm, we're, we're New Testament grace. Yeah, but what did Paul say about Demas? He said, Demas has forsaken me, loving this world. Demas left Paul on his missionary journey, and he went back doing the things that he used to do. Paul said there will be a great falling away. 
We see it in our own nation. I want, to, I want you to see the consequences. I'm moving quickly this morning. The consequences of their backsliding. This is more contextual today than it is pointing you to a verse, but we actually can see it all throughout this chapter. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the sins of the nation caused the nation to begin to collapse. Why? Because laws Im- impact regions and these laws impact society and these laws in society impact families and it began to cause a moral decline a moral decline in other words the teachings of the God of Israel the keeping of the law the Ten Commandments honoring your father and mother remember the Sabbath to keep it holy you shall have no other God before me those principles that God had established for the nation of Israel to go by, they began to go by the wayside. See, their laws, their sins that they had legislated begin to have a consequence that began to roll downhill and it picked up speed. And that consequence began to deal with the moral breakdown into the family. Comes to a point where immorality becomes encouraged. See, when you begin to change morality at the highest level and you begin to exert laws that are contrary to the laws of God and the laws of Scripture, then there comes a societal breakdown in moral clarity. And what happens is is then we live in a culture to where it is utterly confusing by those who are being raised up and reared in that generation. Because morality, immorality rather, begins to become encouraged. So you understand that in the church, concerning our youth and our young people, can I have a few more minutes? Concerning our youth and our young people, we have them a few hours a week. When our schools and their family lives have them times a hundred those hours. And utterly, I'm quoting our youth pastor. I love what he says. He said, we send our, our, our students to Rome and get upset when they come back looking like Caesar. And they go, to, they go to church and they're encouraged to live for God. They go to church, they're encouraged to read their Bible. They go to church, they're encouraged to live a holy life. And, and then they go to school they're made fun of because they're not bisexual. And if you don't walk that way and believe that way, then you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. Listen, this is good stuff right here. I'm trying to tell you right now that Israel began to fall in the same pattern and immorality was champion at the highest level. God wanted to do something, but he couldn't. He was bound. He was bound. This, this decline, moral decline, led to a spiritual decline. The spiritual fiber of the nation collapsed. Much like the Garden of Eden, sin has people either running from God or running to Him. And in Israel's case, they were running away from Him at this moment. 
the nature of what is happening in the nation of Israel at this time, the priority of serving God went by the wayside as families slowly began to deteriorate. Let me read that again. The priority of serving God went by the wayside as families slowly began to deteriorate. See, what starts at the top ultimately trickles down. And it begins to affect the moral fiber of the family. You see, in, 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 in God's kingdom, he, he told the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy when he was giving the law, he told the fathers, he said, you're to, you're to instruct your children in the ways of righteousness. When you get up and when you lie down and when you rise to wake, you're to teach them. Keep it bound upon the frontlets of your heart and on your eyes. Keep it in front of you. There was such a demand from God to speak the word of God and to train our children in the homes. But let me tell you what happens when immorality begins to be sanctioned as a nation and everything begins to run downhill. Can I tell you what you come up with every single time? You come up with church members who haven't been to church in four months, but their kids never miss a ball game. Notice I said church members. I didn't say Christians. Sometimes we confuse the two. You say, oh, Pastor Brad, you're being hard. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, I am so concerned for the coming of Christ that when the rapture of the church comes, there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And if you are not ready, you will not go. I don't care if I have to offend your mind to get your spirit right with God. Friends, it's time to stop playing church and get right with Jesus. It's time to raise the standard of repentance again. Christian values have fallen by the wayside. Hear me this morning. Prophet said, truth has fallen in the streets. I want you to know our values have fallen in the streets. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Folks, we cannot continue to turn our nose up at God and expect it not to expect the very basic framework of our society. The Bible says the Lord saw this and it displeased him. He looked for a man. But he couldn't find one. He looked for an intercessor. Prayer meeting was empty. Here's what the Lord said. He said, I will uphold them. I will sustain them. God was speaking prophetically at the end of Isaiah 59 about the coming of the Messiah that would save Israel. But in the middle of this chapter, we see something that was changed. I want you to look back with me for a second. It's the cure for backsliding. Let me tell you something. There are horrible consequences for backsliding. But let me tell you something. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that he's married to the backslider. He's married to the backslider. I want you to notice this. 
Isaiah 59 verse 12. Notice the words here. Therefore, notice he says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Stop, stop right here. In the first part of Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah is telling them what has happened. The Lord's hand is not short. His ear is not heavy. But your sin, Isaiah's preaching, your sin has separated you from God. And then notice the shift in Isaiah 59 verse 12. For our, somebody say our, our transgressions have multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back in the streets. Righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity shall not enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. He wondered that there was no intercessor. He begins to talk to them about the Redeemer of Israel. And then he finishes up. I'm, I'm getting ready to close. In Isaiah 61, famous passage quoted by Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Israel, he's sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison, those who are bound. Tell you what, Israel's sin kept God from blessing them. But it never stood in God's way of his desire to bless them. God was simply waiting for them to turn from their ways and repent. That's what he was looking for this morning. He was looking for somebody to simply say, Lord, I acknowledge. Lord, I perceive. I see going on in my heart and my life. You see, Israel had to come to grips with the fact they had sinned against God. And let me tell you something. The book of Haggai the prophet tells us that God's not impressed with our loud music and our wayward hearts. In fact, when Israel was in backsliding, they brought the psalm, the psalters and the harps and they began to sing them a song. Here's what the prophet Haggai said. Take away from me the noise of your song. For sin is in your heart and I don't want to hear it. Praise and worship is beautiful to God's ears when we're surrendered. But it's abhorrent to his ears. Whenever we're regarding the need. See, folks, let me tell you something. God loves you. He loves you in your sin.
But don't mistake that with the fact that God loves your sin or that he doesn't care whether you keep sinning or not. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says, if you draw near to me, church, I will draw near to you. See, God's not the one who left. He didn't leave. Israel was the one who backslid. He says, come unto me. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, the prodigal son, where there were two, two sons, both in the house. One decided, Father, I don't want what you have. I just want my inheritance. I'm going to go waste it. He went afar off to a far land, far country, spent it on righteous living, ended up in the pig pen, eating the slop that the pigs ate. Meanwhile, he came to himself and said, how much of my father's hired hands have bread and food to spare? And here I am. He says, behold, I will arise and I will go to my father's house. And the scripture tells us in the gospel of Luke that the father did not get up and run towards his son until he saw his son approaching. You know that scriptural, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Some of you today need to come back to God. I didn't say come back to church. I said you need to come back to God. You need to come back to the cross of Christ. See, you can fake church, but you can't fake it when the rapture happens. Jesus knows who belongs to him. And this morning, it's apparent what's happening in our nation. And listen, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here. I'm believing God for a revival. A 100%. I want it to start here. I want it to start with us. I want it to start today. But I'm not oblivious to the fact that the Bible says in the last days there's also going to be a departure. I'm asking you the question today. What about some of these people who don't come to church anymore? What about some of these people who've fallen by the wayside? Biblical prophecy? You see, we are so naive sometimes that we get hallmark theology. You know what hallmark theology is, don't you? Story always ends good. You know, everybody's going to heaven, you know. I mean, how many funerals have you ever been to, right, where they're like, you know, this guy right here, I don't know if he made it, you know. Probably not many, and that's not the place for it, but you understand what I'm saying. But the truth of the Bible is this. Enter in at the narrow gate. For broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go therein. But I say strive to enter in at the narrow gate. And few there be that find it. Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it also be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. You know what happened in Noah's day? Eight people got on the ark. Everybody else died. I don't want to shock you today. Everybody's not going. I can't help anybody who's not here today, but I do want to ask one question. What about you? 